I, I did my first co-wholesale deal and it was a $200,000 assignment fee. Woo! I got a hundred grand of it. And I walked into my job and said, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> I'm out of here. So that first year I went on to do just short of a million dollars my first year in the real estate business. Hey everyone, Jamel Gibbs here. Welcome to another podcast episode. Today we have another special guest as usual and uh, we have a great guest who's going to talk to you about uh, the intricate details of co-wholesaling your real estate investing business. What's up, Zach? Hey, hey man, what's happening, brother? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, you know, first off, I want to say thank you for coming on board and, and be willing to, to do this podcast and also, thank you for having me on your Coffee with Closers show as well, man. Hey, man. That's what it's all about, right? It's about sharing the word, getting the message out there. You do it through your podcast. I do it through my Coffee with Closers shows. I mean, you know, it's all about being not just an influencer, but being a positive influencer. What do I mean by that? It's easy to influence somebody. It's, it's easier to be a positive influencer when you're actually doing what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. That's right, man. And for those of you who didn't catch that show, I'll, I'll link it. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to go ahead and link, link it in the cards up at the top. If you're listening on a podcast, go to youtube.com slash, what is it, Coffee with Closers? Uh, Zach Childress Reviews. Zach Childress reviews, or you can catch it on my my channel as well at Jamel Gibbs. Well, it's either Zach is it is it Zach Childress reviews or Zach Attack reviews? It's one of the two. One of the two. You know what I'll do? <laughs> I'll link it up at the top of this video. So go to my YouTube page at youtube.com uh, slash Jamel Gibbs. You're gonna see a picture of me and uh, Zach Childress on a thumbnail, and you'll be able to click on that, and I'll and I'll link the show in in uh, the cards as well as the description as well. But hey, man, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? How, how did you get started in real estate investing? You know, man, I got started in real estate investment because I didn't know what I was doing and I believed it. I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we go back um, 17 plus years ago, man. I was working in a job, was going nowhere long, like everybody else. But um, the sales manager wanted to motivate all of us you know, we were called business developers for this company and um, wanted to motivate us. So they sent us to this seminar. Well, I was at the seminar and I saw Tom Hopkins speak about real estate and that was history, man. He had a little three day event. I went to it. Next thing you know, I was like, man, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know what I mean? Like I was like everybody else. I thought I had to have good credit. I thought I had to have money. I thought I had all these things. And uh, the instructor was over there just let me know like look there's wholesaling there's creative finance there's all these things and um i was like oh my gosh like i didn't think i didn't know this and so um you know back then i um i'm not where i am today i didn't have capital i had really low credit score so i started off as a wholesaler gotcha gotcha so you started off in the business as a wholesaler how long did it take for you to get your first deal well i actually quit my job in the first six months nice Yep. Is that a good um, thing or a bad thing? 
that was a great thing um, for me. I mean, I was scared to death. I'm not going to lie. Like I was scared to death. I mean, I grew up, you know, get a good job, get a good job, get a good job. And so I thought I had a good job. You know, they had, you know, insurance packages and all these things. And I was like, yeah. But what I realized was, is I, I had a job. I didn't have something I loved. You know what I mean? Like it was just a job. I wasn't creative it was, anyways, but um but I'd started into real estate. We had started doing some deals. I mean, we're talking 17 years ago. We're talking 2003. You know what I mean? Um, I was out in California. It was highly competitive. Um, uh, and I didn't know what I didn't know. But I started doing deals. I started making money. And, and I, I did my first co-wholesale deal. And it was a $200,000 assignment fee. Woo! A hundred grand of it. And I walked into my job and said, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> I'm out of here. So that first year I went on to do just short of a million dollars my first year in the real estate business. Awesome, man. And that was, uh, you said the first six months, what did you, what did you end up, you know, I know we're getting a little personal here. What did you end up bringing in during the first six months? At first six months, I was averaging about 20000 a month, and then I popped that $100,000 deal. Um, so I was right at about a quarter of a million um, when I left. And then that last six months, because of all the time I had, you know, I did almost another 700000 in that last six months. Killed it, man. Yeah. And that's when the magic happened. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, then you just, you realize when you have the freedom and you're doing what you love, like it just, I was, I mean, I, <laughs> I used to complain because I was putting in 40, 50 hours a week at my job. Yeah. But then when I went full time as an investor, then I was putting in 12, 14, 16 hour days because I was, I was building something for me. You know what I, I mean? Entrepreneur, man. That's yeah. the entrepreneur spirit. You know, I, I definitely, I agree with that, man, because I work like even now, I don't consider this to be work. You know, when we're, you know, buying, when we're working for ourselves, it's not considered to be work. but you know, for me, even now, you know, I've been in a business just as long as you have since 2002. And I work until I work from the time I get up in the morning yep. until the time I go to bed at night. And even when I'm out with my wife, you know, we're having, you know, some type of business discussion or something like that. That's just what our life is like. And I absolutely love it. Yeah. You know, so I mean, it's fun. It is. And you know, that's the part like about that. like, finding what you love and then your creativity shines yep. and you're not watching a clock anymore. That's right, man. So how did you get into, so obviously you did this joint venture that, that first joint venture was your hundred thousand dollars and you decided to continue co-wholesaling at that point. Well, it, you know, let's go back, right? Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but um, we go back 17 years. I was in a, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, so like it was highly competitive. The market was screaming hot back then. You know, everybody was doing deals, and I was new. You know what I mean? I was young, younger than I am now. <laughs> did, you, did you grow up in San Francisco? Or? No, no. I'm from Alabama. Gotcha. So but I moved out there chasing my kid's mother and. Um, you know, ended up in California. Understood. Understood. <laughs> so, but it was very competitive. And what I found was, is that I wanted to do more deals. I was full time, you know, I wanted to go full time and I knew that to do more deals, I had to get better, but I didn't have the marketing budget. Like some of these guys back then. Now, back then we didn't call them acquisition companies or deep disposition companies. We didn't use those terminologies, but they were just really good at acquisition. They had 
door knockers and massive budgets for marketing. And um, I realized I was having a hard time getting these deals. And so one of the things that it hit me was, is I had a easier time finding buyers. I was finding a lot of buyers. I was going to a ton of RIAs up in that area. If it was within an hour's driving time, I was going to it. Um, and I was like getting all these buyers. And so my buyers list was growing super fast. Yeah. Um, which then made me realize like I would probably be better off as a disposition expert than the acquisition and trying to compete with everybody. Um, and then that's when the idea hit me. Now you got to remember this was back before everybody was out there talking about co-wholesaling or joint event. Like this wasn't something that was taught. I mean, they just didn't teach it. And um, so I said, well, I had this idea. I said, well, let me go around to all my competitors and just ask them like, Hey, what do you do with the leads you don't sell or close on? And they were like, oh, if we don't do anything with them, we throw them away. I said, well, I said, what if instead of throwing them away, I would come by and I pick them up. And if I sell any of them, I'll give you half of whatever I make. And they were like, okay, well, I started doing that with a few of them. And I started, you know, the, the, the number one guy that I hit first, which actually created a domino effect, his name was Rusty Simmons. Um, and he was with Simmons Realty. And they also had a company called Golden Lily Flag Properties, which was their wholesaling acquisition side. And I was knocking on this guy's door, trying to get him to do business with him. Well, finally he called me up one day, he said, I got a deal for you. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm like, what's the contract? He said, 900,000. I said, what? <laughs> 900,000. Oh my God. I said, what's it worth? He said, it's worth a million. I was like, how am I going to sell that? I was like, that's insane. I can't sell that. He's like, well, you want my business? Sell this one. So eventually through a long story, um, I ended up doing some creative stuff, finding somebody that would come look at it. What I identified was, is this property was on the way into Napa Valley. Uh, to the right of Napa Valley is this huge um, like foothills. Well, at the top of that foothill is called Angwin. And the property was up in Angwin. Well, all the other houses over there had already been torn down and built back up five, six, seven, eight million dollar homes. So I started calling some builders. I had a couple of them meet me out there. And um, one guy rolls up and um, he said, what do you want for it? I said, 1.1 million. And he said, okay, who do I make the check to? Oh. I'm wow. like, oh man, that was too easy. I could have got more. <laughs> <laughs> you said 1.1 million, huh? Yeah, and and the and Rusty had it under contract for nine hundred thousand. Right, so that's how you made the two hundred grand. That's how I had the two hundred thousand dollar fee, and I got a hundred of it. And uh, that was when I quit my job. And I realized in that moment that that was where I needed to niche. I needed to niche in being the disposition specialist. And that's where co-wholesaling was born. And uh, I co-wholesaled for years and years and years. And then I guess it was about eight or 10 years ago, um, I created the course on co-wholesaling. I own the domain. I have the trademark and, you know, launched it out to the world. And, and you know, and it's one of those proud moments for me, uh, Jamal, is because now I see other people out there teaching it too. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and it's like, man, like that's something that I brought in and, and like coined Contrib it. And, contribution, man. And yeah. You know, and, and I'm happy other people are teaching it because it is such a less, 
aggressive way of looking at a market, especially when it's highly competitive, because the whole mindset is, is don't compete when you can join together and That's really right. co-wholesale on deals, whether you want to be more on the acquisition side and you're just focused on finding them and teaming up with somebody that's on the disposition side or you're on the disposition side. And so that was really how it all started, man. And I just co-wholesaled a for years and then um we started sharing it like i said eight to i think it was eight years ago nine maybe eight or nine years ago my daughter was one so maybe nine years ago gotcha so let's talk about some of the steps yeah that it takes to get into wholesaling well if you're going to get into wholesaling one of the key factors is understanding who are your wholesalers in the market, right? It's really getting super clear on who they are, communicating with them, finding out like what they specialize in. What you'll find is, is there are a lot of wholesalers that do specialize in acquiring leads and they're not really good at selling them. And then it's really figuring out your strength. You know, are you good at marketing or are you good at just, you know, working with buyers? Uh, you might be good at both and that's fine, but it's identifying what we call your co-wholesale partners. And so you have your selling partners and you have your buying partners, which would be acquisition or disposition in the new world of language. <laughs> right. so, I gotta tell you too, man, like for me, I, uh, I, I find I'm, my, my company, we're great at finding leads. We're good at selling them as well. But I want to say maybe the last 10, 20 deals we've done, another wholesaler has actually sold those, those houses yeah. and we, we split the profits with them. Even on some of the creative stuff that we've done recently, you know, a lot of wholesalers who uh, they, they get these buyers who come in and, you know, the buyers are not necessarily cash buyers, but they're looking for a property and they have a fair amount of money to put down. Yep. These individuals, these other wholesalers, they'll pass over the uh, buyers and we just split the down payment with them. Yep, but, absolutely. You know, just and, another and just creative being way able to provide a, a better deal structure too, you know what exactly. I mean? And, and I'll give you an example. There's a large company out in Arizona. They do about six to 700 wholesale transactions a year. Mm -hmm. And I met the guy in Birmingham and he told me that about 70% of all of his deals are sold through another wholesaler as a disposition. They're finding them and pushing them through his operation and he's putting buyers on them. Yep. I love it, man. I mean, it's that's just a way to do more deals, man. Yep. And to, and to not let one of your leads go away. And look, let's just be honest. There's also an, a, another even hybrid model to this. Cause look, a lot of people want to get into wholesaling, but they don't, have the money to market for sellers or they don't have the ability to find buyers, but they can still facilitate a co-wholesale deal. Right. Um, uh, I, I'll, look, one of the things I'll do at the end is I'll give everybody a free blueprint to this whole layout. And there's a video in there of where I actually took a guy locally. He never had done real estate before. He had no money. And we recorded, I think three or four videos, five videos of us taking him through facilitating a co-wholesale deal. And he got a property from a wholesaler, so he didn't spend any money. He found it from a wholesaler. And then he found another wholesaler who had a buyer, and then he was able to facilitate that deal, and he still made four grand, never had a buyer, never had a seller. Awesome, man. So it's almost like they're, uh, like you said, it's a hybrid of co-wholesale, yep. almost like an arbitrage type of thing. It is exactly like arbitrage and funds, right? But you're just doing it from a facilitation point of view. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one of, to answer your question, that's one step. 
Another huge step that I see a lot of guys who try to do wholesale, co-wholesaling do it wrong is whenever someone sends you a property, you got to research that address because <laughs> like if the other company's already marketing it at say 95,000 and then you're out there trying to market for a hundred or 105, well, a smart investor is going to Google the address and see the other marketers, you know, ad for the property and it kills your credibility. Right. That's why one of our processes is, is when we meet these other wholesalers is we're very clear, like, you know, we'll bring the half, the half, the transaction, the buyer, but we split the wholesale fee. If they say to us, well, we're not going to split our fee, but you can add yours on top of it. That's fine too. Like there's nothing wrong with that. As long as they haven't blasted it all over the web at one right. price. Right. And so just got to be careful with that. Yeah. Cause then it becomes a daisy chain type. I, I, oh, you know, well they know they laugh at you. Headache. They laugh at you. Cause they go, yeah. look, you try to sell it to me for one Oh five. I can buy it from this guy for 95. He's got a link online for it. Then you, you look, look like, oh. you look like the, 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 the idiot. And yeah. because it's all over the place, you know what I mean? So you definitely want to stay away from daisy chain types of deals as well. Yep. That daisy chain deals were big, especially when the market tanked, you know, we're talking 10 years ago. And everybody was trying to do bulk REO. If you remember. oh, I was in the middle of that. I was in love. Oh my gosh, man. I'd be on a phone call. There'd be like fifteen people on there. You're like ping, ping, ping. Yeah. Who's that? Everybody Who's that? knew about those deals, man. Oh. That was the main problem that a lot of investors had at that time. We're talking 2008, 2009. Yeah, that was a long time ago, man. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, good I was in the days, REO tape business myself, and oh. man, it's like, are you direct to the stutter? Yes. All right, let's have a conference call. <laughs> ping, 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 ping. People join in the call. You're like, what are all these people doing here? So if our listeners wanted to get started in, let, let's just say step one, step two, let's give them a three-step process. They want yeah. to get started in co-wholesaling at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So step one is obviously identifying your strengths. Should I be more on acquisition? Should I be more on a disposition if I'm going to co-wholesale? Um, step two is then identifying your co-wholesale partners, as we call them right? Getting into your market, looking at these other wholesalers, finding them on social media, finding them from bandit signs, actually having the phone call. Uh, we actually have a script for it um, where you call them up and you just ask them this. If they say this, you say this. If they say this, you say this. That walks you through that dialogue to determine if that wholesaler is a acquisition wholesaler or a disposition wholesaler, so you can categorize them in the right way. Cause you might be able to facilitate or you might be able to sell or, or, or buy off of for your buyers. And so it's really building that front to it. And then, you know, so that's step one, step two is find them. Step three is, you know, getting on the phone and categorizing them where they're going to go. But then step four is always getting into the paper right? Like protecting yourself. And so we have what's called a service provider agreement that our attorneys had drawn up for us so that we're not crossing the lines of like agent relationships, but we're more acting as a marketing firm um, for lead generation. It's the exact same contract we use when we sell the leads to like agents. Uh, like when we do marketing and get leads that we don't buy or can't do anything to, well, we'll sell those leads to an agent who might get a listing out of it as a marketing company. 
Right. Um, so it's really getting clear on that paperwork, getting a clear dialogue with them. I believe that if you're doing it locally, you should always have a belly to belly meeting with these wholesalers just to kind of see what they got, what's going on with them. Um, and then that now that relationship has a solid foundation. You've identified what your strengths are and you've identified who they are in the market. You've categorized them and then you've laid out a foundation, which is an agreement between each other on how you're going to get paid and what your role is going to be. Love it, man. So you're eliminating your marketing budget by not having to uh, go out and, and find deals if you're not on the acquisition side. If you're, in, if you're on the disposition side, that's actually, you know, um, you're, you're basically getting other wholesalers deals. That's right. And then turning around and, and you're building. So on a disposition side, your focus is to build a buyer's list at the that's end right. of the day. That's, that's what you want to be doing. That's your whole focus. Right. And then on the acquisition side, you need to be finding deals and then you have to find out what your strength is and then stick with it and then find a person on the other end. Like in my case, I have multiple people that sell my deals for me. Yeah. Um, and that's primarily because, uh, you know, we have an acquisitions side of the business, but we, you know, I personally, I used to do all the disposition myself. I've built out, uh, I haven't built out a strong enough disposition part of the business. It's been 18 years. I've had it at one point, but since I moved here to North Carolina, I haven't built out that right. strong enough disposition team. And plus a little bit was of uh, was because I'm a little bit of a control freak in my business. Yeah. But, um, you know, I feel good sending out my leads to other wholesale. And we have a buyer's list. We have about a thousand people on our buyer's list, which means nothing because you're only going to end up doing business with, Maybe 10 of them. (laughs) In our case, five of them. Right. But um, we frequently have two to three wholesalers that sell everything that we put out. So that's co-wholesaling in a nutshell. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm still a disposition in my own market for people. Even though I do acquisitions and disposition for my business, I still have companies that bring deals to me and say, Hey Zach, we got this. Can you sell it? Right. And sometimes you, you'll find that like not every deal you get is going to be the right fit for your buyers. So you want disposition real partnerships, right? You want these other, cause they have different buyers. Right. So like I, our rule of thumb is, is we'll send it out to our buyers we'll, we should know within 48 hours if we've got some interest if 48 hours pass and we don't have a lot of like interest in it, then we'll kick it over to these other wholesale partners and say, Hey, go see if you can find a buyer. Here's our fee on this. You get half of it. It's 15,000. We'll give you 7,500 for it. You know? Right. And, and sometimes what we know with some of our co-wholesale partners on the disposition side, they'll come back and say, Hey, I got a buyer for even more. And we're like, great. You know, you got 20 of them. Now you got 10, we got 10, you know? Um, So there's all kinds of reasons why you do that. But I wanted to circle back around for like the new people watching this. So as a new person, you might only lean in on this strategy just to build up some capital so that you can do your own marketing to create your own acquisition side and then just do it all yourself. You know, but what you'll find is, is as you lean into that and you start to build the business, there's still always some deals that your buyers just aren't interested in. Right. So it's always advantageous of you to have those disposition partners, even when you open your wholesaling company up to be an acquisition side as well. 
Love it, man. You know, just to kind of circle back around on what you were just saying in regards to, let's say a buyer were, were well, another wholesaler were to find a, a buyer who paid more money. And I just recently had a couple of deals like that. One of them, um, I negotiated, I wanted a certain amount of money. They could have whatever they want on top of that. So initially it was like a, I think it was like a $20,000 or maybe $15,000 assignment fee. Uh, I negotiated, um, you know, at, out of that 15,000, I need 10. Um, and if you could get more for yourself, then that's entirely up to you. That's kind of the way we worked that deal out. Um, and then his buyer came back. We basically bought the house. It was a $25,000 home. We sold it for 40. Um, I was asking for 35 on my end. He came and said, I'll sell it and I'll add a little bit more to cover my, cover my, my, uh, fee. So I made the 10,000. He made whatever he put on top of it, but then his buyer came back and wanted to take care of, wanted him to take care of some of the closing costs as well. I think it was the taxes or something like that. So that ended up coming out of his half. I wasn't affected by that. So would you say, my, my whole point in bringing this up is, would you say it's more effective to control the deal on the acquisition side versus the disposition side? Well, that's good because that's actually one of the things we talk about in the blueprint is that, you know, you got to remember there is a, a process of who's going to control what, right? Typically, the acquisitions partner has most control because they have the contract with the seller, which means that contract is what has to be assigned to the buyer. And so on the disposition side, they're typically giving their buyer up um, because they're having to sign an assignment agreement and all of that. Right. Um, so that is something that, you know, it's just inevitable. Like the acquisition person has most control, um, because they have the contract with the seller, but how do you stay safe? And I think that's in our step seven or step eight, which is if you're the acquisition person, well, you're obviously safe because you're not going to give up your contract until you're paid. Right. Right. Wholesaling side where on the disposition side, you don't want to always, you know, say, oh, it's a $15,000 check, write it over to XYZ company and then go to XYZ company and hope you get paid, right? Um, so in that case, sometimes, you know, depending on where you are financially, you know, we'll have the, the, the buyer to write the check directly to us and then we'll write a check to the acquisition company um, for their portion of it so that we can stay in control of where the money's at. I think at the end of the day, it, 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 co-wholesaling is really an art of building strong long-term relationships you know people will say to me yeah but Zach how how do you stop them from going around you well you're not you know what I mean what I'm gonna stop is them from ever doing it again to me right, right? that's what I'm gonna stop and there's right. no reason you know if that's the way they are and they're shady you shouldn't be doing business with them anyways that's right but sometimes you don't know that until they've burned you well I can say this out of the decade I've been doing this I've never been burned on a co-wholesale deal. I've never been burned because most people doing this are like you and they're like me. They're trying to build this. They're trying to have integrity. They're trying to build good friendships and relationships and they're trying to, you know, be consistent at that. You can't do that by burning bridges everywhere. You know what I mean? Because co-wholesaling is really an art of being a great networker. It's about knowing people and, you know, getting out there and shaking hands. And so, you know, but we do teach, 
not how to have most control over the deal because really you don't have the control the acquisition person does, but it's how to stay safe and make sure you get paid. <laughs> that's, right. that's right, man. I mean, that's what it all boils down to. We we're all in this to make a profit and take care of our, our families. Right. That's what it's all about, man. Um, so co-selling is obviously uh, a great investment strategy. Now, what if you come across a buyer that wanted to, tap into the creative side of things, or you wanted to, let's just say, for example, um, you know, you had a buyer on, on your end and you're on the disposition side and you're, you have a lease option type of buyer. What do you do in that scenario? Same thing. So we, you can still, you know, do a co-wholesale deal only in a scenario when it's a option wholesale, right? Um, because, you know, it's not a true wholesale deal if I have a tenant buyer, because if right. they had cash, they wouldn't be, you know what I mean? They wouldn't be coming to do a, a creative tenant buyer program. But we we do do option wholesale, co-wholesale deals. So if I know investors out there that are securing terms deals, right? Um, but let's say that they're controlling a property through a lease option, but there's no cash flow coming off of that deal. Well, they don't want to hold on to it. So instead, they'll take the option, an assignment of option. Uh, they would bring it to us and say, hey, look, I've got this deal. It's already structured on a terms. I've got an assignment of option rights. We would go find a tenant buyer. And let's say that tenant buyer was going to put down, I don't know, $8,000 as the uh, option consideration fee. Well, then we just split that with the other wholesaler. And then they assign the option to that new tenant buyer. So now that tenant buyer steps in on the terms agreement that the wholesaler negotiated. Got it. Got it. So what would, and this is a question I know a lot of people are going to ask, especially those getting started. What is it going to take for someone to get started co-wholesaling? Do you think Great this question. is one of the best ways to, yeah. to get started? It's actually one of the fastest ways to get started because you're not having to wait on all the marketing. The wholesalers are already out there. They've already got everything, right? Um, the, the video I was telling you about that we recorded with Brett, the guy locally that we did a facility, we did that with him over a seven day period. Wow. In seven days, we took him from rookie to walking out with four grand, never had a property under contract, never had a buyer. We just taught him the facilitation part. Uh, it's actually an amazing video series to watch. I mean, it was like, it's firsthand. It's us out in the field, us on the phone, like we're going through the whole thing. But, um, but we did that in seven days. So I know it can be done in seven days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy, man. But it, it's specialized knowledge, right? And so that's where they have the benefits. Like most people never heard of this back then, right? Um, but realistically, I would say a co-wholesale deal can typically be done in 14 to 30 days if you're already tapping into wholesalers who have deals and you're already able to build a buyer's list. Like you can start building buyers within 14 days, yeah. posting ads, being on social media, being at Urias, networking, going to the auctions, meeting buyers, like getting out there and hustling, right? So then in 14 days, you find a wholesaler who has a deal. You've already got 15, 20 buyers. You show it to one of them, you know, within, you know, 21 to 30 days, you're getting paid and you're moving on. So, so let's talk about that. How would, let's say when someone was interested in disposition, you know, a lot of people are intimidated by acquisition. I don't know why, or a lot of people it's just getting on the phone. phone. They yeah, don't want to get on the phone. On the phone. So they'll feel more comfortable getting out and actually talking to other buyers. Right. What are some of the ways that 
you recommend to go out there and find buyers to start building that buyers? No, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, I tell everybody, look, if you're looking for the freeways, right, there's always two ways. There's paid and there's free. Uh, if you're looking for the freeway, you got to get out to the public and private auctions. Right. Okay. You know, the public auctions, the one that's typically in your area, it's on the courthouse steps. Just hang out in the back, see who's raising their hands, see who's winning bids, see who's even trying to win bids and, and talk to them. Let them know what you do. Look, these people are there buying properties. They don't care if it's coming from the auction or if it's coming from you. They're just looking for deals and you got to go out and talk to them. The other way is these private auctions. Um, we have a lot of private auctions here locally. Um, they're kind of like auction.com, but they actually go out, you, you go out to a house and bid on it. Um, you'll find buyers there too. Um, so those are two really easy ways that those meetings are typically every week. You can go out and, and rumble through those. The third one is actually going to a RIA, finding a local RIA real estate investors association in your market or several of them and actually going to them. And, you know, in a lot of RIAs, they'll let you like stand up and say, Hey, look, I've got this deal or I've got this deal, or this is what I'm looking for. You know, you, you need to own that. You need to stand up and say, Hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm getting deals sent to me that I don't want, but I'm happy to hand them off to a buyer. If you're a buyer in the room, I'd like to talk to you and let them come to you. And so that, you know, they're coming to you asking for your help. Um, so from RIAs to auctions, call-in management coming. Here's a golden nugget for you. I tell people this all the time, but most people won't do it. <laughs> but Management companies are literally a golden nugget for you if you're wholesaling deals that are cash flow rental properties because management companies, their whole database is landlords. Landlords. And their goal is to get their landlords to acquire more properties so that they can rent them out and collect their management fee. So if we get a deal, we'll build a flyer from it. We'll call 15, 20 management companies in town as long as it's a rental house. And we'll say, hey, we've got this opportunity. Would you send this out to all your landlords? And if any of them are interested, you get another house to manage. Yeah. And well, that's free. a tip that I shared one time. Um, I did a video on YouTube. Uh, it was uh, in regards to Go Section 8. You ever heard of GoSection8.com? Yeah, I know so, it very well. You can click and find the person's name yep, and phone number. Find everything <laughs> you want. In fact, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm going to link it in the cards above. If yeah, that's a great strategy, by the way. And, and we, we teach it as well. And we've yeah. done it over many years. It's like, look. <laughs> go to this site, click on, you know, owner's information. If it's a person's name and phone number, that's an individual renting that out. That's right, man. If it's and a management company, I'll call them too. In contact with them. That's yeah. right. So one thing I will say about the uh, auction uh, strategy that you were talking about, the good thing about focusing on people who go to auctions are these people you have, first of all, you have to be qualified. You have to have capital to go ahead. So you know that the, if they're raising their hand, Chances are, well, almost 100% of the time, they have the money to purchase a property. So if they're unless raising they their hand. Know, unless they don't know how an auction works. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And then they're going to get stuck with the tab anyway, so it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. So um, you definitely know if they're raising their hand in an auction, uh, they're a cash buyer. So I love that strategy, number one. Number two, you know, I love the, the simple fact of going down to the RIAs as well. In my local market, maybe you have them in your market as well. We have what's called deal maker sessions where, you know, it's kind of like going to a RIA. The, the difference is you're bringing deals there and then seeing if you could get rid of the deals to buyers there. So if you have deal maker sessions in your local market, 
then you need to be there to find these cash buyers because people are actually going there to do deals. And if you don't have one, start one in your local area. Become the authority in that yeah. area. I had a conversation so, with Brian Tripp about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Brian. Um, here's another good one for you. And this is, goes back to building relationships. But working with title companies. Title companies are huge for us because if I'm meeting with title companies, either they're referred by the RIA or referred by somebody else, I set meetings with them. I go down and talk to them and I'm always asking them like, Hey, who's you, you guys got a big buyer that come through. Oh yeah. You know, we got three of them that close every single week. Hey, look, if, if I got a deal, I can't close. I'd love to get it to these guys. Can you create an introduction for me? And they're like, yeah, because they want to close more deals, right? So it's always looking at it from that approach. Um, then you can get into some of the paid ways. But another free way is, you know, just getting on social media, right? Finding out all the investment groups that are out there, the investment pages in your area, and, and letting people know what you do. I mean, just getting the message out there. Um, and then obviously, there's always what we refer to as micro marketing. Um, our micro marketing is where if, if we get brought a deal, and we look at that deal and it's in this neighborhood and we're not getting any hits, we can actually go in and pull a radius around that property of buyers who have bought those properties without owning them or not own, but without occupying them. So they're investor properties. And then we will micro that out. And it might be, you know, a small area with maybe 200 prospects, but then we'll drop postcards to them and say, Hey, we noticed you bought a house in the same zip code. We have another one you might be interested in. Give us a call. Um, and so we're not marketing to a whole city or a whole County, but we're micro marketing specifically to buyers that we know are buying right there where the property is. We're trying to disposition. Love it, man. And going back to what you were talking about with Facebook groups, actually, when I first moved here to North Carolina, I started a Facebook group. So if you, if, you know, not only can you go out and, you know, find, you know, find groups in your local area and, and then start building relationships there, but start your own group. You become an authority figure that way. Yeah. And then before you know it, deals will start coming your way as well. Right now in my group, I believe we have 600 members or so. I don't even like, I'm not even marketing it. It just runs itself. People post yeah. stuff all day, every day. And, so here's uh, something that I, we do a little different on that. Now we have a group too, over 1200 members uh -huh. and, but I, I make it to where all posts have to be approved. Yeah. And the reason I do that <laughs> is so when someone's posting a deal, I see it first. <laughs> oh man. That's genius. I might have to change the setting. So I, I mine is set to where it, all posts have to be approved. So I'll go through it and be like, okay, approve, approve. Oh, a deal. Oh, let me reach out to this guy. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so then that. I'll look at it. If it's not for me, I'll then I'll approve it and let it post out there. But it's a way for me to control first look at the deals. Gotcha. Yeah, we approve all members, but we don't necessarily approve all posts. But I like that model. Yeah. So, and I don't, I don't approve all members neither. Um, uh, our 1200 plus members are only specifically here in Northern Alabama. Got it. Yeah. We definitely approve all members. We, yeah. We, Cause I, I've got like a hundred and something people in the waiting that are like from California, yeah. New York. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, here's my theory. Like it's a group designed not to try to wholesale nationally, but it's a group designed here in Northern Alabama. And, um, you know, I, I just see a lot of the posts that come yeah. through. I mean, so yeah. it's not, it has no relevance to us here. 
Awesome. Awesome. Zach Childress, guys, it has been a real pleasure having you on our call today, man. Uh, yeah, we man. really appreciate you coming on, spending some time with us. If you had to give, let's say, some last words to our listeners, what would those, yeah. those words be? You know, there's, there's, I could talk for hours on this, right? Yeah. <laughs> but one thing I always like to say to people is something that I was told myself 17 plus years ago. And it was Zach from a, a guy that was already in real estate said to me, he said, Zach, what's something that you could do today? A choice you could make today that in 10 years from now, you would look back and thank you for making that choice. And I, I encourage everybody to think about that. Look, the journey always seems hard before you start it, right? It gets easier as you get more specialized knowledge, you get a coach, you get a mentor, you get somebody to show you the way to get there faster. But it, it, it gets easier and then the momentum builds. The hardest part for a lot of new investors that I see is, look, they'll make the commitment and they'll jump in and start building that momentum and then they'll let something get in the way and then it goes back down and then they realize they got to start all back over again and try to yep. come back up. And so it's just being consistent, like staying in it, like staying in it to win it. You know, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not some, you know, unicorn and cupcake and rainbows. Like this is work. I mean, you're going to get out there and you're going to put work in and you're going to build something that yes, you will thank you for doing it down the road because next thing you know, you're going to turn around, you're going to have rental properties and commercial deals and money in the bank. And you're going to be like, man, I'm glad I stuck into that journey. And so, you know, I just share that with people. Um, I'm not a guy that's going to get on here and tell people go make a million dollars in six months. It's just, I don't talk, it's just not realistic for most people, but guys, it's super easy for you to get out there, stick to a plan, follow a model and make, Two three hundred thousand a year from this business. It That's is right. absolutely doable, but it's not going to get handed to you. You got to go get it. Interesting, man. How long do you think? And, and this is just kind of uh, double backing on what you were saying here. How long do you think it will take the average investor to be able to retire from this business? Well, actually, that's a good question. We talk about this all the time with my coaching students. We build what's called a bell curve, and uh, what I have noticed over time is it depends on knowledge and it depends on resources. Okay. Those two things make a huge factor in how quickly they can get to the top of the curve, which is the retirement downside. And we see two to six years, two to six years. I was two saying an average years. of five, yeah. an, average of, an average of five, uh, which is about right. It falls right within that. Uh, within yeah, that. that's what we see. And, and it's such a broad window because look, some people start with a lot of resources and a lot of time so they can get, and here's the other factor. Everybody's different. Like what is your number to retire? Some people's is lower and some are higher, right? So it's not right. like, you know, one person, it's going to take three years. It depends. What are their resources? What is their retirement number? I mean, I've seen people do it in two years. They had a low number. They had, they had resources going in. So they hit that in that two-year mark where others had higher numbers. I mean, I'm working with one student right now. Their retirement number is 40000 a month. You know, that's because his, his wife makes $380-something a year, right? And so they're like, when we hit that number, we'll retire. But because of their resources and the strategy that we're working with them on, which is housing, student housing around universities, they get almost a two-factor on the houses they're buying. So they're making like 45% cash-on-cash return on these deals. So their model is, they're a four-year model. 
Like they're going to be able to pull it off in four years because they've niched student housing, which has, because they're renting the rooms out, right? So the rental income is so much higher. Um, so everybody's different, it, but you got to look at it from those factors. Right, so. right. And then every, you know, everybody's circumstances are different. Like you absolutely, said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect, man. Awesome. Awesome call. Where now I know you wanted to talk about your blueprint a little bit. Where I'll just give it to them. Um, yeah. it, there's no charge to it. I'll just give it to them. It's a little blueprint you can pick up. It you'll download your computer. Uh, you just go to cowholesaling.com. Uh, www.cowholesaling.com. Awesome. Awesome. Cowholesaling.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'll go ahead and link it in the description for you as well. And, um, you know, what, what, what are your favorite books that you're reading right now? Oh, man, I got one that's real good right here. Now, this is kind of advanced, okay? Big Shifts Ahead. Yeah, it's okay. written by John Burns. I don't know if you follow this guy, but he's, an, uh, he's a data guy. He's an, uh, I always have a hard time saying the word, an uh, economist. Um, so he's always looking at the economy. This whole book is about migration, population, the financial world, where the markets are going. Right. So it's, it's a lot of cool stuff in there. Awesome, awesome, man. And any final words for our listeners here? Final words is do something, man. Like this market ain't going to stay like this forever. That's right. Like you got to get it while the getting is good. Don't be a fence rider. Look, you had plenty of years to be a fence rider. This is the time to be in. <laughs> like, yeah, man. However you can get in, you need to be in. That's right. Are you concerned about the, uh, what's going on with the talks of the market shifting at all? Um, I, of course I'm concerned with it. I mean, I mean, as an investor, our job is to manage risk, right? And so, you know, I'm always looking at the risk in the market, but you know, I, 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 I bank with a lot of banks in town, so I know the vice presidents and I'm always sitting down with them at least every couple of months saying, Hey, where are we at? What's the board saying? What's the board saying? But you know, in our area, you know, we're a little bit different. You know, we're, we typically don't see a turn until after like major markets like California, Nevada, Arizona, right. Florida take turns. But they're all saying, look, we've got two to three years strong. Like they're like, we don't, we don't see any changes happening, any curves coming our way right now. Like they're like, go get it, Zach. Awesome, man. Love it. Love it. Love it, man. Zach Childress has been a real pleasure to have you on the line today, guys. It has been a pleasure having you guys on as well. Check out coholesaling.com. Uh, if I get, once again, if you're listening to this on a podcast, go to coholesaling.com. If you're watching it on YouTube. I'll link it in the description or you could just. Yeah, I think it's ZachChildersReviews.com or YouTube.com forward slash ZachChildersReviews. Yeah, if you go to my, my page, if you're on my page, it will show up on the side column as one of my. Uh, yeah, you linked us together, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I linked it. Yep. Because you're awesome, man. Because we're why. cool like that, man. That's right, man. <laughs> Brothers. <laughs> hey, man, it's been a pleasure having you. And uh, I look forward to doing this again sometime in the near future. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash Jamel Gibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm in 
LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content, more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to REI Education Academy. Dot com, and that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.